0: Sunstrom Recruitment are the leaders in health and safety recruitment. If you're considering a career change or need to discuss your organisation's hiring, reach out to the team today. We were awarded Recruitment Agency of the Year in Health and Safety in 2023 and are a proud sponsor of Health and
1: Safety Conversations.
2: In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer.
0: Here's your host, Tom Bourne. Delictosis.
3: It was all over the news in early 2023 in Australia, but like most people, I didn't know much about it. What it was, where you got it, what it leads to, or how serious it was. And so I thought I would ask, ask people who have studied it, ask people who have helped with it, ask people who've suffered with it. And finally, ask people who have represented those with this horrible disease. I first spoke to Renee Kerr, Curtin University's research fellows, who undertook a significant study into the prevalence of silicosis in the Australian workforce. It was this landmark piece of work that led to the disease receiving their immediate attention and the beginning of the push to ban the importation of manufactured stone products. With me today is Renee Carey from Curtin University. Renee, I brought you on to talk a little bit about silicosis and the study that Curtin University did. Firstly, for those who don't know, what is silicosis? Firstly,
2: thanks, Tom, for having me on. Um, So silicosis is... Basically, it's a pneumoconiosis. So it's a lung disease um, that's caused by the lung's reaction to inhaling a certain type of dust. So in this case, silica dust. Um, And what it does is it's progressive, it's irreversible, and it, it means the silica particles are inhaled deep into the lungs and the lung tissue is hardened, scarred, doesn't function properly anymore.
3: Okay. And how do people get silicosis?
2: The silicosis is caused by exposure to silica dust, and it's those respirable uh, particles of the dust. So these particles are about a hundred times smaller than a grain of sand, and that means that they can be deposited right deep, deep right in the lungs, and they scar the lungs. Um, exposure to silica dust, heaps of industries. Mm-hmm. Um, silica is naturally occurring in a whole bunch of building and construction products. It's in bricks, it's in tiles, it's in glass. Um, and when we cut, grill, sorry, I always say grill, grind, drill those products, um, we, we produce this dust and then that's inhaled into the lungs.
3: Okay. Is it visible, the silica yeah. dust?
2: So it's not, it's tiny. Um, you can see the larger particles. So we, we differentiate between inhalable and respirable dust. Respirable is the really tiny particles that you can't see. That um, that is still there.
3: Okay. Uh, has silicosis always been with us?
2: It, ha- it Well, it has. It has been around for a long time. Um, years and years and years ago, we knew about silicosis. Um, and, in fact, we were doing quite a good job of controlling it. So probably in the 40s to 60s, it was quite common. Since then, decreasing. Um, but now we're seeing this massive resurgence in silicosis, unfortunately.
3: Okay. Uh, Curtin University conducted some research on silicosis and prevalence not only in the workplace, but also of the workers who were um, suffering silicosis. Um, Firstly, what sparked the study and what were the findings?
2: Uh, So we were actually commissioned by the Australian Council of Trade Unions or the ACTU to do this study. Um, It was in response to kind of the growing incidence of silicosis and also some government actions around um, establishing a dust disease task force and coming up with some recommendations for control of silica. Um, And the ACTU, first of all, wanted to get a better idea of what was going on in the space um, and also to have some concrete evidence that they could use in, in replying to some of those submissions. Um, So what we did was we looked at the number of lung cancer and silicosis cases that were likely to result in the future um, from those who were, we say, currently exposed to dust. Best estimate we had was 2016. Um, So contemporarily exposed, I guess. Um, What we needed, so what we did, we used our own method. We've used it in the past, um, and that estimates basically how many lung cancers are going to occur in Australians who are of working age over their lifetime? And then how many of those are likely to be due um, to the exposure to silica dust? So we first of all needed to know how many workers were exposed. Mm-hmm. Hard. Um, <laughs> we came up with the best estimates. So we had a survey from 2012 which told us you know, roughly how many. We added a few people in because of this engineered stone um, epidemic And we came up with about 584,000 workers exposed. Um, We think that's an underestimate. We know we haven't got tunnelling workers in there, for example. Mm -hmm. We probably haven't covered quarry workers very well, um, but that was the best we could do. So we then looked at how many lung cancers um, would result from that exposure, Mm -hmm. Um, and we came up with about 10,000 workers developing lung cancer. Um, in in their lifetime as a result of current silica exposure. And then we multiplied that by uh, basically the ratio of lung cancer to silicosis cases that we see internationally. And we came up with about 100,000 cases of silicosis that would result in the future.
3: Okay. Uh, When you say the future, how long are we uh, projecting ahead?
2: So this method looks at the lifetime. Uh, So anywhere, I mean, working-age Australians, Anywhere, well, 65 and up now, um, but over their lifetime. So people from 18 to 65-ish and how many over their lifetime.
3: Okay. If, uh, If your workplace processes involve you coming into contact with silica dust, is it actually silicosis preventable?
2: Not entirely, no. So we know that there's no clearly defined safe level of exposure to silica. Um, Of course, we always advocate for complete elimination. It's not always possible. Um, We know that adverse respiratory effects, so effects on the lungs occur at about 0.02 milligrams per cubic metre over a working day. That level's really easily reached in a workplace that's kind of disturbing these silica-containing materials. Um, So if it's not possible to eliminate or substitute for a material that doesn't contain either any silica or as much silica, um, we need to use a combination of control measures. So yeah, we need to always have good, well-fitted respiratory protection using water, ventilation, on-tool extraction.
3: Okay. Yeah. Um, A lot of the emphasis has been on... About the cutting and shaping and and grinding etc of stone or manufactured stone bench tops,
6: mm-hmm.
3: government still contemplating how they're going to do a a, a ban on imported uh, manufactured stone bench tops. Will that actually solve the problem?
2: No. In short, no. Um, it is a start. So we know it rightly so, the, the focus has been on engineered stone because that's where this issue first kind of came back into public awareness. Um, engineered stone is really potent source of silica dust, up to 95% of silica dust. Um, and also there's huge numbers of workers. So estimates are at about one in four people who work with engineered stone get silicosis. And, you know, where else? What other industry or group of workers has that level of disease?
4: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um. So yeah it's going to, it's a start and it's it's going to prevent a lot of disease but silica is a much wider issue than just engineered stone unfortunately so
3: yeah um in Queensland they currently got uh, for certain industries mining in particular mm-hmm. they give uh, free x-rays for those who are retired or have worked in the industry for a significant period of time is this something that probably would be a good thing for workers all around Australia
2: I, I think so. Well, I think uh, health monitoring in general. So just some form of monitoring to see what's happening in people's lungs in particular. Um, I would like to see that become mandatory across Australia, particularly for workers in these high-risk industries. Um, we know that silicosis is not reversible, but if you stop the exposure, you can kind of slow the progress of the disease. Um, chest x-rays... A good, more effective is low-dose CT scan. So there's that argument there about what we should be using if we're screening.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but, yeah, I think definitely at least some form of monitoring for those workers particularly we know might be at risk.
3: Is further research needed perhaps to uh, into prevention of silicosis?
2: Yes, I think so. I think more research is always a good thing. Get get that better understanding. Um, We still don't know the extent of the problem. We don't even know how many workers are exposed. Um, So if we know that, if we know where they're exposed, if we know who's getting disease, we can prevent it. Um, And then we can prevent those huge costs. So economic costs, government, healthcare, but also personal
3: numbers Renee talked about are so massive and it's hard to see a health system that will easily cope with this unnecessary epidemic. So I next spoke to Peter Ty from the Asbestos Safety and Eradication Agency to get his view on its silicosis. What is silicosis for those who don't know?
1: Silicosis is a dust disease um, and there are a number of dust diseases. um, Black lung in the the coal industry. uh, uh, In fact, asbestos or asbestosis is a dust disease also so mm. um, silicosis is um, caused by the inhalation of uh, silicate uh, crystalline uh, dust um, mm. that adheres to the lung uh, and from there it starts to create medical problems for the individual so it, its major uh, cause is obviously by cutting the um, you know the focus on the present time is on engineered stone
4: mm-hmm.
1: um, but it can be caused by uh, mining um, and construction so anything that has uh, a silica content and depending on the the, uh, the level of silica content um, engineered stone it's 90% percent um, uh, silica so when you cut it drill it uh, shape it polish it that creates dust and um, that dust is inhaled and it's not uh, something that's uh, regurgitated out of the lung. A lot of dust we, uh, we pick up on a day-to-day basis, you, um, you'll, you'll expunge that by phlegm uh, and other ways, but um, silica doesn't and it's a very, very fine dust uh, and uh, eventually blocks um, the capacity for uh, oxygen to get into your system and it forms uh, fibrosis, and all dust diseases basically finish up as a fibrosis.
3: Would it be fair to say that it it, it usually is a, uh, a long time from exposure to uh, actual when symptoms start presenting themselves?
1: No, not necessarily, um, and that's one of the problems with silicosis. Um, it can be something that occurs after two or three years of working uh, with... Uh, materials that can contain um, uh, crystalline silica. So some of the cases are coming forward now. There's three or four years exposure. So what we're seeing, and probably whilst asbestos and the scarring through asbestosis can take a much longer term, and the cancer um, in asbestos, musophilioma, the gestation period there can be anything from 10 years to 30 years. Mm. The um, the silica uh, problem can present you know, within three or four years. And in fact, the breakout now is well, young people have been involved in um, installing engineered stone and they're, they're starting to rack up the numbers. I and mean, The estimate at the present time is that there's 100,000 people that have been affected by it uh, uh, who will probably end up with some form of uh, fibrosis um, and there's a likelihood of about 10,000 people that, that might graduate to a cancer because it, it does that in the longer term too.
4: Okay.
1: Cancers usually take a bit longer, but the, uh, the scarring of the blockage in the lung, um, you know, there's examples of people been working for uh, four or five years uh, and the prognosis for them is that um, they've got a fibrosis, which is going to eventually lead to their demise uh, within four or five years.
3: Is it, um, is it something that could be diagnosed fairly early or is it, is it something that the symptoms start to present themselves before um, people are, are, are found to have it?
1: You, I mean, the way they um, diagnose it is, you know, someone comes in with a complaint and it's usually mm-hmm. shortness of breath, coughing, mm-hmm. uh, pain, uh, lack of energy. But it can be picked up um, with X-rays um, and with respiratory um, uh, testing. But the problem is that most people don't present until they feel that there's something wrong, and it's, uh, that's the issue.
3: I, I see that in Queensland uh, they, they're offering uh, free chest X-rays for any uh, retired minors, and they're, they're suggesting it might be a good idea to get them checked. Would that necessarily be silicosis-based? Is that more like uh, for black lung Type disease.
1: It, well, they thought that black lung would be on very much decline when they got rid of underground mining because mm. you know you're obviously caught underground and any dust from the mining process is in the air, even though you might have extractors working. Um, but they're finding with open cut mines that you know as they get in and they uh, understand how the uh, it's just a big haul pack that just pulls uh, the ore out. But that generates dust. So they're now seeing uh, uh, a representation of black lung or uh, the word's hard to say. It's puma caninosis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, which again, um, is a similar scene, similar thing to... Uh,
3: with silicosis, is, there, um, is it basically a death sentence? Or is it basically just shortening your life? If There's no treatment for this?
1: um there is extreme treatments, and when I say extreme, we're talking about lung transplants here. Yeah,
3: um,
1: yeah. That's if it hasn't progressed to a cancer. Um, yeah. so you could um, in the US. There's been a number of uh, people involved, you know, over there, been lucky enough to get lung transplants, but that's very, you know, you have to have a donor. Um, the likelihood of uh, getting the opportunity to pick up uh, lungs, um, you know, from a donor is probably pretty limited um, so most people will progress to um, you know the end form of uh, uh, fibrosis and what occurs is you're not getting enough oxygen into your system mm-hmm. uh, so what happens quite often is your vital organs like your heart um, enlarge and it can you know a, a consequence of that can be a major heart attack where you collapse it, or all your major organs will start to shut down. So it, it is, to a large extent, a death sentence unless you're lucky enough um, to get that transplanted. Though, no, you know, we're looking at new techniques, earlier diagnosis, better treatment. I mean, in Queensland, they've tried what they call lung washing. Mm-hmm. They use a, a lean um, solution to try and wash as much dust out of the lung. But you have to catch someone early enough when you can... Um, you know, put that sort of treatment in place, and they're not quite sure how successful it is. So it's it's been basically uh, a trial, I and mean, they're hoping that it might get some success out of it. But, um, it. it it is probably in the longer term, even though it's a long, sustained uh, road to your demise. Um, it gradually, you know, you lose energy. Um, you know, everyone you talk to, even the younger guys have got it now, saying. So, um, you know, they might be working, but, you know, just taking their kids for a walk along the beach has an impact on them.
3: Yeah, yeah. Is it, besides um, prevention or not being exposed to dust, is there any way to prevent this you know, occurring?
1: I mean, that's that's a $64 question that's being debated at the present time, Um, um the, the major contributor to the um, problems we're having in the growth of silicosis is engineered stone. Um, and that's why the unions and others are saying, well, why do we need this? It You know, it's um, an aesthetic uh, product. It's not, not necessary. Um, yes, it's been used quite widely and has been for a number of years um, and decades. Um, but, um, you know... There's replacements for it. So if there's replacements for it, it's not integral to the, uh, you know, the, the construction phase or the building of a unit or the setting up of a, a house. Then, um, you know, the first rule in relation to health and safety, as you're probably aware, if you can remove uh, mm-hmm. the uh, the problem, then that's what you do firstly. Then after that, it's mitigation. So
4: mm-hmm.
1: mitigation for cut, cutting uh, and drilling and. Working with uh, engineered stone means uh, dust monitoring, uh, wet cutting, PPE that um, you know will stop the process, uh, uh, ensuring that um, you know the dust is controlled to a large degree. Because it's not just even uh, the guys who've been involved in the cutting process; it's now starting to have a wider impact where it's, it's catching bystanders. There's an instance of a, a woman who worked in the office of one of these uh, contractors who's picked up silicosis just on her daily breathing in the fine dust because, you, you, you know, um, at its biggest level, it's a, you know, it's about the size of a human hair, but uh, the dust that's generated can be 100 times smaller than that. From, so from 100 microns down to one micron, um, and the problem is with that finer dust, it sits in the atmosphere um, for quite, quite some time you know, before it settles. So it's invisible to the naked eye. Um, and that can be the problem. And then there's the other issue that we've had with asbestos of clothing contamination mm. um, and also even the fine mist um, that's used for quenching it picks up the dust um, and uh, it lands, it dries out. Um, the the dust still on the floor. Unless you've got really good cleaning processes, mm-hmm. it's really hard. I mean, the thing that's been debated at the present time is, well, if you've got products that are less than 40% um, silica, can they be managed, utilised and uh, uh, continue to be a... Uh, a viable product for you. Um That's the problem. Um, and that's a dilemma that, um, you know, the, the regulators in Cyclic Australia are looking at at the present time.
3: Yeah. Look, I've got to tell you, I was quite surprised. Um, we're in the process of starting to uh, build a house. And when we went just uh, a week ago and we were talking to um, people about the house, they still... They still uh, Sprouting the uh the benefits of engineered stone bench tops and stuff like that, oh, so it's like surely by now um uh, construction companies would be starting to move away from that, knowing what's coming in terms of
1: political um interests shall we say yeah well you know the um they've had some problems association with, um, you know, the, what they use and, um, you know, uh, the problem is that there's over 2 million homes in Australia that have uh, engineered stone products in them. Um, you know, I'm looking across at my own benchtop and it, it's uh, uh, an engineered stone product. The same that you'll have in your bathroom because, you know, you wouldn't find a house uh, that's been renovated or uh, built in the last, you know, 20 years, it doesn't have the product in there and even in offices where you have uh, uh, foyers and uh, uh, decorative uh, stone uh,
4: mm.
1: in itself. So, so yeah. the, not only is the issue if they were to ban it, um, and that's a question that's been looked at, you're still going to have to deal with the legacy of that um, uh, product and when it's removed. Uh, and it's quite safe uh, in a bonded state, Um uh, mm. But when you demo when you start to go through a demolition process or uh, if something's been reconfigured, um, it's got to be cut drilled or damaged, and that's when you have a problem again with the dust.
3: Mm. That's that's pretty similar to what's what what was the next cycle after asbestos was stopped was the actual renovators, the removalists and all that, which were still getting exposed.
1: That's right. I mean, the big issue now with asbestos, we've had it banned formally since 2003 but the product was stopped being installed in the late 80s, early 90s but uh, we've still got a huge legacy of asbestos that's now at the end of its useful life so you're going to get the situation uh, occurring with engineered stone
4: Mm, Uh, mm.
1: it'll be further down the track obviously but um, something that has to be managed
4: beautiful
3: After listening to Peter, I felt I needed to talk to a sufferer of silicosis who could explain the impact of this disease upon them and their family. And so I spoke to Joanna McNeil. Joanna, how are you?
5: I'm good, thank you. How are you?
3: Oh, I'm very well, very well. Um, Just wanted to ask you a few questions because you are an unusual case when most people think of silicosis. um. So, firstly, what what was the work you were undertaking which exposed you to silicosis in the first place?
5: Yep. So, I actually worked in a quarry. I worked in administration, um, where I did safety meetings. I I helped with safety a lot. I did, um, you know, all the purchasing, the pays, um, you know, and I. Majority of my time, I was in admin mm-hmm. in the front office, which was about 90 metres from the crushing plant. Um, and I sometimes would walk around site to collect um, safety data um, throughout the day. And then sometimes I would work in the pug mill occasionally here and there, probably a few hours a week here and there, but predominantly in my office in admin.
3: Okay. And how long... Did you do that kind of work?
5: I had worked in the quarries for 2013, and in
3: that, I... Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
5: I had my first baby um 2016, mm-hmm. so I'd been for those for uh, quite a few years prior to having my first baby.
3: Okay. Um, I've got to ask you a question. When you hear about, because you weren't working with stone yourself, when you hear about that a, a ban on working with stone kitchen tops is going to solve the problem, how do you feel about that?
5: Well, I don't think it's going to solve the problem of getting silicosis um, because we're just talking here about bench, you know, bench tops, um, the Caesar stone, which my understanding has 97% of Caesar, i um, sorry, 97% of silica dust in it. Um, Banning it, yeah, I'm all for that. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a high rate there yeah. of um, silica dust. So I'm all for banding that Caesar stone. I mean, I think it's just like, you know, it's a modern um, product. You know, they use it on the block. People are like, oh, yeah, that's cheap to renovate. Let's just put this in. But, it has, you know, they don't understand the severity of what they're doing.
3: Yeah. So what, what, what was the actual catalyst? What, what actually made you go to the doctor? And when did the doctor start thinking that it might have been something to do with your lungs
5: so in I think it was 2019 I came back from having my second baby's maternity leave Mm -hmm. and you I went for just a standard medical checkup as you do um, at the quarry and so um I think I had an x-ray and they said oh something's on your lungs and I was like my lungs okay and they're like we just need you to go for some further testing and I did and then that's when I met um, Dr. Hoy, and he said, Joe, I'm not sure what's going on with your lungs exactly. I need to do a lot more further testing. So without, throughout that year, you know, I had further testing. And then it was, you know, Dr. Hoy said to me, Joe, look, I hate to say this, but we really need to do a lung biopsy on you. And I was like, okay, which I was like, yep, no worries, let's do it. I wasn't really, well, I wasn't keen to do it, but, you know, we've got to do it to figure out what's going on. And then I get a phone call two weeks later to say, hey, Joe, um, just to let you know you don't have lung cancer. And I was like, whoa, well, what? Sorry, I had no idea that's what you were checking for. He goes, well, we're checking for everything, but you do have silicosis. And I said, okay. And, you know, also, firstly, I want to point out a lung biopsy you need to do, you know, but it is her- like for me, it was horrific. Uh, you know, it. I didn't really realise the process of it and it actually had put, um, it actually scared me a little bit um, afterwards um, but then you know, getting that phone call from Dr. Hoy to say, you know, you do have silicosis. You know, first thing was, What is silicosis? I have no idea. And the first thing I, you know, you do, you, you're like, You're Googling, you know, and then I'm just like, You know, this is crazy. Like, what
3: is this? Yeah. Had you had any sort of physical symptoms that would? that would have made you actually think there was anything wrong with your lungs prior to that?
5: Well, it's interesting you say that. Um, No, not at that time, but going through what I've been going through now, I look back and I realize, okay, there were things, but I didn't realize I had no idea.
3: Okay. That you mentioned a lung biopsy and, and, and how it's not an easy process. What does it actually involve?
5: So for me, what they did is they put, now I, I'm not technical, so mm-hmm. I do what I think it is. They they put it like a spray or something in your mouth so you're awake for this and then they put something down your throat to open it up and then they spray it again and you, you're gagging on it um, and then they keep going down further down your throat, then they do it again and they keep going and then eventually they put you under. Mm-hmm. But when I woke up, out of it the nurse said to me because I was in quite a bit of pain and the nurse said to me you know I'm you're going home now if your lung collapses make sure you get to the hospital and Mm -hmm. I was like are you serious like you just put so much fear into me by saying that and Mm -hmm. I I think I slept that night at all I was like so scared Mm
3: When Dr. Hoy told you you had silicosis, did he explain what it would actually mean for you?
5: I mean, to be honest, I'm sure he has, or he did. I'm sure he did, but I think I was just so consumed in. Like, I need to put in perspective that I had a six month old baby. Mm. I was very sleep deprived. I was just going day by day, you know, and then getting this news. So, it, you know, yeah, he does tell me. Obviously, he has, but I guess at that point in time that I didn't really like it hadn't sunk in, what it was, and you know, really the severity of it.
3: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, how do you feel now about your diagnosis? It's it's been a while since you've you've been diagnosed. How, how are you feeling about your diagnosis currently?
4: Oh,
5: you know. It's hard. It's that it's hard. Um, you know, when I lay in a hospital bed and I'm sick and I think this is it, you know, I just, it's really hard to answer that
3: one. Mm. You know, what's if you sorry if you had yeah. to if you had to uh, explain to people what your symptoms are now, in simple terms, what, what what's life like for you at the moment.
5: Um, I have body pain at the moment. Um, so the other day, like for instance, my body pain was that sore that I couldn't even lift a duna cover off my, um, um, it was so painful for me to do. So, um, I get all these aches and pains throughout my body. I mean, I'm only 37. Um, you know, it's, I still don't even know what it is because I'm trying to see a rheumatologist and, you know, it's months till you get in for these things. Um, you know, my body's definitely not doing what it should be doing. And um, my mental health, on the other hand, you know, is another thing that, I, you know, I really struggle to even talk about my mental health. Um but, you know, if I get sick, for instance, I'll give you an example. In November, December, I got a pickup of a virus. I didn't know I had one from my children. So it was just like a little virus from them. Um, and I remember you know, I was in a lot of pain and I called nurse on call and she's like, I think you need to go to the hospital. I went to the hospital. They did some scans. I mean, they're like, oh, you've actually got a virus. And I was like, oh, do it. Like, I didn't realize. And she's like, you've got pneumonia and I was like do I she's like yes and you've got an offset of that now you've got this viral arthritis which for me I ended up and I didn't even realize at the time but I was eight hours um, eight days in the hospital okay. and I was on steroids and you name it every pain medicine you can take I, I couldn't walk I was like I was paralyzed the pain was excruciating you know, and I feel like I still haven't recovered fully from that and that was going back in November, December last year, you know, and I feel like I get these little flare-ups of those pains that I got. So, you know, silicosis, they, you know, you say, yeah, about your lungs, my lungs aren't great. As we you know, like I kind of talk about my lungs turning into rocks pretty much, um, you know, but it's the offset of it, like the of music can kick off in your body. And I feel like my body is definitely showing lots of, like, autoimmunes. Yeah.
3: yeah. All right. You had time to think about silicosis. You did your own little Dr. Google research. How did you go about talking to your family about it?
5: So I think, you know, at the time I was married, um so my partner was aware like he was there when we got you know got diagnosed you know and I think we just thought you know we're just going to soldier on you know I think we just you know we're going to live till we're 100 you know that kind of thing and not realize because you know at the end of the day like Joe you look fine on the outside you know and I thought yeah I'll be fine you know and part of me Still thinks, nah, he's so got it wrong. I don't have silicosis. You know, like I'm thinking, nah, the doctors, he's wrong, you know, and I've been living in denial, really. And then, you know, all these things keep happening, you know. So my kids, yes, I can explain it to them, but they've seen me on the news, they've seen me. I don't, they do understand to a certain degree, how bad it can be because, you know, my kids, I did put them in therapy about it and, you know, they they want to sleep in mummy's bed every night and the reason being is that they're scared that mum's not going to wake up the next day, you know, and that just breaks my heart from a workplace injury that my kids have to feel like that.
3: Yeah. How does it feel at a fairly young age, 37? To have to start to think about the future of your children without you, it, it is, is that a daily struggle? Is that something you try to put out of your mind or is it something you just basically have to face?
5: I ha- I've had to face it. Like I've had to do my will. I've had to plans in place like this is a hard question because I'm there you know the mom and I'm the primary care of my girls and I'll do anything for them but I've had to put a plan in place for them sorry I get very upset about this um I try to block it out and all I want to do is spend as much time with them as possible you know I just really want to just you know every birthday they have I'm there every everything I'm there because I don't know if it's, I'm going to get a cold and that's it. Like, I'm not going to come back from that cold. Yeah.
3: yeah.
5: You know, it's hard.
3: Your extended family, how are they coping with it?
5: I, to be honest, I don't have the support from my extended family. So it's kind of just me. And my network, like my friends and that in my local community, mm-hmm. I don't, um, yeah. I mean, well, no, I do have my grandmother that I speak to quite a lot and it absolutely breaks her heart. Like she just can't understand it. But she's proud of me that I'm out there raising awareness and she gets to see me on TV because she's like, Joey, you were on TV. And she tells all her friends and mind you, she's 86.
2: so Yeah,
3: no, that's awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, Do you think there's been any justice for you or your family since you've been diagnosed? Do you you hold out any hope that they're, there can be any sort of restorative justice for you and your family out of out of this situation.
5: I do hope. Well, it's a hard one. I I have not had a break. Can I be honest? Since getting diagnosed, it's just one thing after another. I need a break, mm. but it's just a constant battle. Um. No, I I don't. I don't believe, uh, to be honest, me talking about it and t- sharing my story helps me, um, you know, and that gives me a little bit of energy knowing that I can help other people. But mm-hmm. other than that, there's been nothing. It is a struggle, absolute struggle.
3: All right. I'm going to ask a, a question you may or may not have thought about. Um Would you suggest to anyone who currently works in quarries, in excavations, underground, or works with stone themselves, even if they're not showing symptoms, would, would, would you recommend that they go and get a, at least a, a chest X-ray or a chest scan?
5: 100%. If you're working with any hazardous dust, I'm awful, go get yourself an x-ray and get a non-contrast x-ray, definitely. The problem is, though, you have, you know, people will decline it because dealing with, you know, insurance companies has not been fun. Mm -hmm. And I can understand being injured at work, why people don't want to do that and why people refuse to even have x-rays. And in hindsight, to me, I wish I never knew I had this. Yeah. Yeah. I really wish I knew I, you know, I didn't have this. But again, you have to get yourself checked. It's a really hard one. You have to get checked because you can't live your life and get really sick and then, you know, you pass away and they're like, oh, you were a smoker. That's why you passed away. No, it's not because you're a smoker. It's because you actually had silicosis and you need to get justice for your family.
3: Finally, I spoke to Ross Sertile from Morris Blackburn Lawyers to find out what those who have been diagnosed with silicosis are entitled to, not only for them, but for their families.
6: So I'm Ross Sertile. I'm a lawyer in Morris Blackburn's Melbourne office, and I specialise in asbestos, silica, and occupational disease compensation claims. So I assist clients suffering from silicosis, mesothelioma, um, and any occupational disease, really, in seeking compensation.
3: What type of help are workers entitled to, Ross, if um, if they are diagnosed with silicosis? The compena- compensation that workers
6: diagnosed with silicosis will be able to receive will depend on several factors. So it includes, like, the level of disability that they suffer as a result of their exposure to silica dust in the workplace and subsequent diagnosis of silicosis, uh, whether they are a Commonwealth employee at the time of the exposure, and the state or territory that they were exposed to silica dust. And although it does vary, uh, the compensation entitlements usually include or cover a pain and suffering or statutory lump sum uh, for a permanent impairment. Uh, in some instances, a worker suffering from silicosis may be eligible for both. Uh, it also includes loss of wages or profits, uh, care for nursing and home health services, including costs for childcare, and medical expenses and treatment costs.
3: Excellent. So for those who have never made a claim, what's the process for uh, making a compensation claim?
6: Yeah, good question. So each state and territory has a different process for making a compensation claim. Um, Look, the first step is usually completing and lodging a workers' compensation claim form. Uh, The forms can usually be obtained from the relevant workers' compensation authority in the workers' state or territory. Um, speaking to a lawyer who specialises in silicosis claims will be of benefit to assist workers suffering from silicosis as we can help navigate the compensation process to put the workers in the best position to claim the entitlements that they need. Uh, Having represented and assisted many clients suffering from silicosis, lawyers working in this space are familiar with the toll lung diseases can have on a person, um, their family and work and are able to advise on the documentation that they will need to prepare for the claim. Okay.
3: Is there is there a maximum amount that uh, workers who are diagnosed with silicosis can actually claim?
6: So uh yes, look, there he is. In reference to Victoria, as I practice solely in that jurisdiction, um, the maximum amount for a worker that can be awarded for pain and suffering as of 2023 is approximately 700,000. So that's for their pain and suffering. Um, the maximum a worker can be awarded for pecuniary loss, so loss of Wages um, past and and into the future is approximately 1.6 million in 2023. So, a total amount of approximately 2.3 million at the moment. Okay. And how long does the whole process usually take? Well, it really depends. Uh, Timeframes depend on personal circumstances, including a worker's prognosis. Um, In certain circumstances, some form of compensation support may be accessed quickly for example, basic entitlements to wage replacement, income support and medical expenses. In other circumstances where a person is very unwell, there are mechanisms to fast-track the claim. Whilst working in this space, I've seen claims settle within weeks and others settle after a year or so. All
3: right. What happens if someone passes away from silicosis before they've made a claim or before the claim's actually settled? Yeah,
6: good question. So in many states and territories, a claim must be lodged and settled in a person's lifetime. And for this reason, it's important to get legal advice as soon as possible. So if someone dies from silicosis and leaves family members who are financially dependent on them at the time they were diagnosed, the family member may be able to access separate dependency entitlements in their own right.
3: If you lodge a claim for uh, workers' compensation following diagnosis... Um, Does the workplace find out about it and can they basically sack you?
6: Look, it is highly likely that a worker's workplace will be informed that they have made a compensation claim. If they are the worker's current employer, in most circumstances, the initial claim must be provided directly to them so that they can inform their insurer. But in all states and territories, there are protections in place to safeguard employees from discrimination and unfair dismissal following the lodgement of a compensation claim.
3: All right. Just a, a general question. Reasonably practicable, According to the law, what does that actually mean, Ross?
6: It's so reasonably practical in relation to duty to ensure health and safety means that which is or was at a particular time reasonably able to be done in relation to ensuring health and safety and that's taking into account and weighing up all relevant matters including the likelihood of the hazard or the risk concerned occurring the degree of harm that might result from the hazard or risk and what the person concerned knows or ought to reasonably know about the hazard or the risk ways of eliminating or minimizing the risk the availability of and suitability of ways to eliminate or minimize the risk including whether the cost is grossly disproportionate to the risk. So it's a combination of factors.
3: So what would reasonably practicable look like uh, in a workplace where you're working with uh, stone bench tops, for example?
6: That's
3: a good question.
6: So before undertaking a crystalline silica process, an employer or self-employed person should identify whether the silica process is high risk, So this must be done by conducting a risk assessment. Um, And when doing that, the employer or self-employed person must take into account the following. So the specific tasks or processes required to be undertaken with material containing crystalline silica, the form of crystalline silica to be used, the proportion of silica containing the material, previous atmospheric monitoring results, the likely frequency and duration of the crystalline silica exposure, and any information about incidents, illnesses, or diseases associated with that exposure.
3: Is there any legal requirements for workplaces in relation to silica dust exposure? So
6: yes, there is. Our Work health and safety in Australia is actually a shared responsibility with the Commonwealth. So states and territories are each responsible for the regulation and enforcement of work health safety laws in their respectable jurisdictions. Australia has what's called a model work health safety law that's been adopted in all jurisdictions apart from Victoria, but Victoria does has have similar laws in place. So the current model work health safety laws may, are maintained by the peak body, Safe Work Australia, and under the work health safety laws, businesses must eliminate or minimise risks to workers so far as reasonably practical, which includes the risks from exposures to hazardous airborne contaminants like silica dust. Under the current work health safety laws, a combination of different control measures are required to be adhered to in order to eliminate or minimise the generation of silica in the workplace. This includes using wet cutting methods, local exhaust ventilation, and the use of PPE. Businesses must also comply with the prescribed maximum workplace exposure level for hazardous airborne chemicals and substances like silica dust. The current workplace exposure limit is eight-hour time weighted average of 0.05 milligrams. In addition, where workers are exposed, suspected of being exposed, or are concerned about exposure to crystalline silica, the person conducting the business has a duty to arrange a health monitoring appointment for the worker with a registered medical practitioner. Workers should undergo medical examinations annually and should include standardised respiratory function tests and chest x-rays.
3: Has there been any uh, legal reform since uh, silicosis has re-emerged as an issue in Australia?
6: Yes, there has. Uh, Look, the exposure limit has been reduced um, from 0.1 milligrams to 0.05 milligrams, and this is commensurate with levels set internationally. There's also been a ban on uncontrolled dry cutting Uh, Victoria has introduced a licensing system and there's been uh, the introduction of measures to enhance air monitoring and reporting in relation to silica exposure. But look, Tom, um, unfortunately, the changes do not go far enough. What we have seen is there is no safe level of exposure to silica dust. And so in order to keep workers safe, a total ban on engineered stone, on all engineered stone in Australia is needed.
3: You deal with people who have been diagnosed with silicosis In your opinion, how does that diagnosis affect your clients? Look, the diagnosis impacts our clients differently um, as
6: everyone processes their emotions in different ways. What I can say that I have seen from working with clients suffering from silicosis is that the health consequences of the condition go further than just the physical effects. Um, In addition to the impacts on their lungs, our clients are at risk of psychological conditions such as depression and anxiety. In particular, I've witnessed many clients experience shortness of breath, difficulty sleeping, feelings of frustration and anxiety about the unknown and the future.
3: That ends this special episode of the pod. I would urge those who are exposed to dust in the workplace to think about their exposure and take necessary steps to protect themselves. And if you are concerned, see a doctor as soon as possible.
0: Thanks for listening to Health and Safety Conversations with Tom Bourne. Until next time, stay safe and enjoy the rest of your week. Do you have a story to tell about health and safety? Something that you've learned, experienced, or witnessed? Something that you think could help others? Health and Safety Conversations is a podcast that amplifies the voices of people from all walks of life, sharing their stories and experiences about health and safety. We're now taking bookings for recordings for season four, which begins next year. Whether you're a worker, manager, safety professional, or someone who's been personally impacted by a health and safety incident, we want to hear from you. Your story could help to make a difference in someone else's life. To book a recording, visit our website or send us an email. We look forward to speaking with you soon.